Good evening, Patriots. And it is Friday, September 30th in the year 2022. East Coast, you've crossed over into Saturday, which we'll catch up with you after a bit. So before we begin, make sure at this point in time that you are keeping your defense plan in place for your home. This is a very critical time. We have a lot of increasing in increases in violence, and it's essential that you are keep your skills up to maintain the protection of your home and protection of your family. That's why we have iTarget. You know how passionate I am about our Constitution and especially the Second Amendment, but just as passionate about being responsible and protecting my family. I discovered the perfect way to train with your firearm in the comfort of your own home and continue to improve your skills. It's called iTarget Pro, and this system is a game changer for me. All I did was download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into my firearm, and start training. The system develops muscle memory, reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. Right now, save 10% plus get free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to itargetpro.com. With the cost of ammo through the roof, this is the perfect solution for you. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com. The offer code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. This is something you definitely need. And that's itargetpro.com. And that's something you definitely want for your training at home, I'll tell you. Patriots, we're kind of going through the surfing through some of the topics right now and kind of seeing what's trending. I've come to the greater conclusion that we are probably, as a world, more confused and screwed up than we probably want to admit. There's so many people out here that are literally wandering in a mist, lost, and really not getting what this is about. And it's it's sad to see, but at the same time, our strength and our walk of what we do is going to be prescient for the times that we're in. I watched a video earlier, deeply moving, of a veteran who was pulled over on the side and of the road and was in the process of contemplating suicide. And I bring this up because there's a lot of stresses going on right now, enormous amount of stresses, in fact, at this moment in time on people, on everything that they, we stand for and believe. And for many people, the, there's a shallowness in faith or maybe just not having a deep relationship. Now, this is a, I'm going to play that video. I just want you to hear this. This, by the way, is in the Bards FM official family room. But I just want you to hear this piece. And then I'll kind of fill in the blanks from the visuals that are missing. What's going on, boss? <laughs> What's going on? I'm about to fuck with the, the VA hotline. Okay. For suicide. All right. Hey. Well, I got you, man, all right? What branch you in? Army. Army? All right, hey, my name's Kyle. All right, we'll help you out, all right, bud? I'm here with you. I'm here with you, all right? I'm gonna start an ambulance over here to us, okay? All right, bud? Hey, no, 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 hey. If I send you, it's, it's nothing on you, okay? State of Connecticut covers that, all right? Can, can we step out of the car, boss? Just so we can talk? 
827. Yeah, come in the front of your truck, bud. 820. Starting an ambulance to the 68 off ramp eastbound. I'm with a vet who's on the uh, suicide hotline. Here's hey. my ID. Sorry, man. Hey, hey. You have anything on you? No, no. Okay, here's where I check in. Cool. Any deployments, bud? One. One? Well, hey, dude. It's a tough time for everyone in your position, all right? Relax, though. Hey, I'm here with you, okay? Here. Have a hug. Yeah, yeah, All he wanted was a hug. And that cop gave it to him. There's a lot of lonely people right now. And veterans carry a lot of weight on them. They're, um, they've served this nation and they've been pretty much under a blistering the last few years. Not only, if, I just need to put this all in context because as we sit outside of that commitment and service, we're not being directed to go fight foreign wars. We're not being directed to go engage in wars that we've really seen pretty clearly are just manipulations by a very corrupt and deceitful state. I mean, this was posted by an account called The Rise of, of Rod, also goes by Machiavelli. I think this pretty much sums it up. If you haven't figured it out by now, our entire government is a huge mafia who launders our taxpayer money right back to themselves through foreign aid and endless wars. They all hate you and could care less if you suffer and die horrible deaths as long as they get rich. See, that's the, an optic that we have on this world that is a gift and a privilege considering all that's going on. And we have free will at our disposal. We can choose to take the vax, not take the vax, we can choose where we want to shop, if we want to go to work, if we want to change our jobs, go to become self-employed. We can choose the schools we go to. We can choose to homeschool our children. We can choose where we live. Many of those freedoms that a soldier fights to defend, they don't have themselves. One of the greatest ironies of serving a nation is that the military is one of the most socialist organizations in the world. And it becomes very addictive for those inside because everything is handled. You get a fixed pay. You get supplement for housing. Some, If you live on base, many times the housing is paid for, depending on your rank. If you live off post, you get a supplement for housing. And you... You have a lot of, you have latitudes, but it's not as free as what we have. They're, your job is your job. If you get buried in a job in the military that you don't like, well, you're going to stick with that job for two to three years until you can rotate to another, maybe through a reenlistment or if you're lucky with a reassignment. But it also means you have to get retrained in an MOS. It's a military occupation specialty. We've entered into this enormous time of stress where the leadership really turned on the, the soldiers. The leadership turned the military from being a pride, a powerful and mighty military into focusing on getting your weenie snipped, getting a snip and tuck, more concerned about pronouns 
than they are about fighting a war. And in the meantime, the war has waged on out here. All of this is by design because it keeps the military's eyes away from what the real fight is. And in the process, because they're sealed in a bubble, many of these in the military have made very poor choices because they haven't been able to see on the optic outside. I've told you this story, but I'm going to share it tonight because I had a very good friend from Afghanistan who was a Marine, had been a Marine MARSOC, which is Marine Special Operations, who later moved over to the West Coast and achieved the rank of Marine Colonel, which is significant in the Marine Corps. And when I approached him on early on, because I was deeply concerned, because I, I know his family, he has a daughter who had the propensity to get tumors. And when I approached him with the information early on about the injections, I, and I was rebuked immediately. He's like, I don't want to hear any conspiracy theories about the injection. I've, I've ordered my soldiers to take the injection. It's over and done. And the reason we needed them is because we were locked down and needed to go to restaurants. In his world, if the military said to do something, you do it and you don't question. Unfortunately, I don't, I, we haven't talked since. It's been over two years. In fact, his final note to me was, well, I hope we can still be friends even though we don't agree on the vax. And, and I have a real issue here because he was ordering soldiers to take something that I knew at the time was going to ultimately destroy them. When we lay on these layers of the service to our nation by, these, by our veterans and the stresses that have been put upon them by this, our own Department of Defense that is now turned against them. I mean, this is an agency that is now no longer American. The Pentagon cannot be trusted. Its leadership is corrupt and vile. It's interested in creating wars with Russia so that it can support the covering of tracks by the deep state. It is part owner in the vaccine that's killing 4,000 people a week. It shares the patent, if you didn't know. And its actions with Nord Stream 1 and 2, its actions in the European theater, its covert actions, we've had this all played up by Q to trust the military, and I'm going to tell you, you can't. But it doesn't change the fact that we have good men and women in there that are now in a really critical time that are coming through a lot of stress, especially those that are trying to stand up for what's right and stand up against illegal orders, which is exactly what a soldier should do. We have one in our own group that I've met with personally, and he is, and I'm telling you, that's, that's the type of, of soldier American hero that we want in uniform. He's fighting like heck to keep his family safe and to avoid getting the Vax mandate, but they're treating him like poo. These stresses add up, and we have to keep that in mind as we go through because these veterans, even the ones that have taken the shot, it's an enormous amount of decision, difficult decisions they've had to make. And while I stand boldly with all those that are standing against the shot, I have great empathy for those that ultimately took it, many of them, not all. The level of blackmail that has been going on internally would stun you. For those in the special operations groups like SEAL teams, Delta Force, Special Forces, if they didn't take the shot, they were told that they would be required to pay back every cent of their training. 
that accounted to millions of dollars, plus they would lose all their benefits. And for, and for some, the families, they can't afford to do anything else but to accept those benefits. This is the, this is the military we now have, and it's broken. And it's a, a military that they're learning that they can't even trust a command to support what we're supposed to be defending, which is not only religious freedom, but most importantly, that we are a Christian nation at its core. Again, the realities as these come forward are extremely difficult when you're now wearing the uniform. I want you to hear this short piece about awards in the military. Have you guys heard the news? The United States military is going to start giving out upside down pentagrams for the Medal of Honor. Are you kidding me? Actually, it's not news. Uh, It's always been like this. Um, Yeah, in case you haven't figured it out by now, you live in Babylon. Okay, so here you go. So we have um, an upside down pentagram for our army. And it's Menevera, if you can see. That's a um, a Roman goddess. Her uh, symbols are the owl and the serpent. Um, You know, just, you know. And we have like a phoenix at the top. We know that's not... You know, don't be, don't let them, don't let them tell you it's the eagle. It's not. Okay, and we have Menavera again for the navy, and it looks like she's uh, abusing a Christian person, probably most likely, because you know the Romans really didn't like Christians, especially their gods and goddesses. Um, and then here's the air force, which we have um, Zeus or Jupiter's thunderbolts, and we have the gender bending uh, Statue of Liberty, which is most likely either Apollo, Artemis, or a combination of the two. So, yeah. Go Babylon. I mean, America. Those sorts of things, when you're in uniform and you're serving a nation, are they come across as hateful, but we aren't even, we don't see it that way. But many soldiers do. And disrespectful, and it starts to build yet another gap between us and those that serve. And this is because inside the system, you, you're your allegiance is to the system and your obedience is to what you're told is the nation. The nation that they are serving at this point in time is the corporatocracy, the corporate United States of America or the corporation of the United States of America. And the republic is where we are as the people. The military was never intended to be what it is today. It was never intended to be a professional class funded by the people so that it would become obedient to a select few in the corporatocracy. But ultimately that's what has happened. And so the the split here between us is relatively significant and it's one that we have to be aware of and one that we have to work on. I this is where a lot of outreach and ministry is essential, to be honest. There are good soldiers inside there that are locked in, at least they feel they're locked in by the rules and the, of their commanders and their directives. And I would say in general, we have to make sure we maintain prayers for them. But it's, it's deeper than that. And I think if we really take a look at Jeremiah 17.5, I think we start to get to the core of a lot of what we're seeking. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. 
There's a good reason that the military is denying religious exemptions. There's a good reason that those that are choosing not to take the vax are being excluded. Many are being excluded from going to church because in the military, they're not being processed out. They're being held. It's almost like being held in solitary confinement away from your faith. They don't want you to have fellowship. They don't want you to have the strength in God. Because the command structures that are in place now are not based on God. They're completely corrupted by the worship and intentions of Baal and Moloch and all these others. This creates quite a dichotomy and a definitely potential rift with the public and the military. And as we look at some of the policies that are quietly being put in place, and there are many, it is alarming at the very least when we start to consider a turning point model state public health act, which allows the states to mobilize national guard or create their own militia to enforce medical tyranny and to put people into concentration camps, literally if, if they don't comply with mandated injections or medication, medic, um, medication. So I don't, this isn't really an easy place for us because we've looked at our military as a trustful organization that would stand with the people. But unfortunately, we, the people who are standing against the deep state, are now facing a deep state that's in full swing, manifesting more lies day by day because it knows that the truth is going to tear its walls down and the only thing it can do is to lie to those that are obedient or captured within its own matrix to continue to incite hate and fear. The fear from the standpoint of soldiers is to push the idea of bio-warfare, that the country is under a bio-siege, that we must do anything we can to protect them. And keep in mind, this particular, this deep state would rather burn its house down than to give up. It's very much the same mentality of the Nazis in Germany. When they were finally surrounded in Berlin, they would rather commit suicide and burn the house down, and they deployed armed young men of ages like 10 and 12 to fight Russians. They have no intention of giving in. And that puts a lot of onus on us and an onus on us in our faith and our strength to hold the line. I would encourage everybody, if you know National Guard members, if you have contact with regular Army folks, to talk to them and really talk about the truth and what we're seeing on the outside and to engage them wherever possible, to, to extend a, a friendly hand, but to in, really push that place of salvation repentance, and the position with Jesus. A lot of soldiers, though they may seem agnostic, are open to faith. And it's something that they need to hear more of. And in that sense, just like that veteran at the beginning, a lot of what they're needing is contact with real people. We're in a time right now with this isolation that we've accepted, the public has accepted this isolation. And even now, there's a lot of distancing by nature. I see it around. You go to a, a restaurant and you'll 
or you go to a store and they still have the markings of six feet distancing and that nonsense. And you see people that are still compliant to the state and they won't, they'll veer away from you. They'll stand back from you. It's a real tragedy because these are the deep traumas that have happened in the country. And that's ultimately what we're dealing with right now is deep trauma. And this is where it gets very interesting because, as you know, I did go to the Navajo Reservation. I did spend a day there with the vice president and of the Navajo Reservation. I expect to go back soon. But there's something that struck me when I was there that relates to all this now. And this is by design. And I have no doubt that those that are those that engineered this bloodbath between European settlers and indigenous tribes, it was done intentionally knowing what they were doing. And this is why I've said many times, it has all the fingerprints of the Jesuits and their understanding of how to create lasting rifts and trauma. When we get struck with trauma, and I'll start with the Navajo. They were forced to go on a 432-mile march, which they lost a lot of people. I think they went to Fort Sumner, if, Sumner, if I'm not mistaken, because it's not the Trail of Tears. That was in Kansas with the Cherokee. But the Navajo were, were put on a, a march of 432 miles, and many of them died. And on top of the war that was waged, which was brutal, Ultimately, the Navajo agreed not to fight anymore if they could return to their sacred space in the land where they have right now, which is Window Rock, which the center point of that is Window Rock. But that trauma that they went through has been passed down to generation to generation. The stories of an oral history culture, which is what the Navajo are, are told from grandparent to child, and that's carried on generation to generation. And that keeps the rift alive between us. And we have little knowledge of Navajo, and yet they have a visceral distrust for white man culture. At this point in time across the country, we have all experienced trauma. And it's what is, I believe, one of God's great gifts in the midst of all this is that no one in this nation anymore, or for that matter, in the world, has been spared the trauma of the repression of the state. Now, it may, some may not see it that way because there will be those that are, are compliant to the state, but nonetheless, they've been affected by the trauma. They've, some have given in their will. The thing that's to be admired about much of the native populations is that they have never truly submitted. Most of them have never submitted to the government. Now, that's not entirely true when you get into the governance of them, but the people is where I'm speaking of, is the people still hold their independence and their cling on to their way of life. Whether you agree with it or not, it's uh, the way they live, that's irrelevant. It's the fact that they've had the strength to endure this, while even their own governments have often tried to sell them out. But there is a, still a pretty deep distrust that has been earned, not just given. We're now in that similar position because we're looking at our government from an eyes of distrust, knowing very well what it has done to us. 
And they're doing everything they can to maintain these divisions so that people don't come together. Whether you're a soldier in the military or a member of the Native American population, whether you're a black, a Latino, a white American, all of this now this has been this woke culture that they call it. But what it really is, is it's dividing and conquering the people to make them easier to manage, to terminate, and ultimately to enslave. We have that obligation now to make the choice. And the choice is whether we're going to put our eyes on Jesus and unite and come together and step aside from the blood rifts or if we're going to let the blood rifts hang on to us. And the problem is that when we have trauma in our life, we too often look at trauma from a negative lens. So I'll just use my own experience, which I don't, I don't, to me, it's the greatest gift God ever gave me, but being thrown in jail for 20 days, not knowing how long I was going to be there, not knowing my charges and feeling at the moment that I went in that I had lost everything. I'd lost my reputation. I'd lost my ability to carry a clearance. I'd lost my ability to make a living. And it seemed like the world was ending when in fact things were only about to get amazingly better. And if I chose to walk with father and accept Jesus again into my life in a powerful and perfect way. And in doing so, releasing the energy, the hook, the, that trauma from the past, that moment, and instead embracing it as a gift, it becomes empowering as we move forward. And I think there's a lot to that lesson that spans even into the native cultures and especially into our military. There's a lot of trauma that these guys have been through and start with the military. Some of it is just the transition from outs, from going inside the military to outside, not being able to get a job, not, not being able to be, see the world the same way order. You go from a society of order to a world of chaos. There's a lot of transitional issues and that doesn't even account for warfare, being in war, deployed, the, stress, the stresses you've dealt with with family. Maybe there's a divorce because of the time away, etc. It's very hard for the veterans to manage some of this. Adding to that, those that really do go into combat, and which is not a lot by proportion, but to do suffer the trauma of that in ways that they're not prepared to handle. Some of it's just the burden of having to pull the trigger on somebody and kill them, not everybody is, is able to process that well. And so they're, they're left with this enormous amount of trauma that unfortunately the way that trauma is often handled, it's looked at like this baggage that they somehow have to cut free. When in fact that what's happened here is they've been given a gift and it's seldom shaped this way. And that gift is if they, and especially if they can accept Christ into their life, they are reborn, remade, but what is given in those experiences becomes a strength in which they can share and have that very deep and visceral experience in biblical stories that then gives them great strength and wisdom in the real world. But we don't approach it that way. When we look at Native societies, it's very similar but even gets a little more complicated because in some of their ways, most every tribe has shamans. And shamans have a way of dealing with trauma very different than from the Christian way. And yet 
there's not a lot of bridge that's been made to try to bring the shamanic approach in with what is truly a Christ-like walk. Even though shamanism itself is not a religion, it has become that in many of the native tribes because there's a rejection of what they call white man's religion because of their distrust of their experience with the European population or descent population, which there's a disconnect to realize that Jesus has nothing to do with that. But nonetheless, you have to give it some respect for why they are there. In a shamanic way, a lot of the way that they bring in trauma is they look at trauma as a broken part of us that's been held into the past in a, in a traumatic moment. And they try to rejoin that in what they call a soul retrieval. That's a process, a ritual, where they try to bring the old, this missing piece of us and reconnect it. The difference is, and there's something to learn here, is that they see that as a celebration so if, if, they, if there's a moment in your life of extreme trauma as a child, in the shamanic way, they'll see that as, a, as something where that piece of you, whatever that emotional piece, let's just say that's, that's a, a piece that was very loving and innocent that got traumatized, it'll get locked into a time, a moment of the past. And for unless you deal with it as you move forward, it will always be there as an anchor to pull you back and you won't be able to go forward. So the shaman's approach is to do what they call a journey and to journey into this ethereal space and to bring, connect with that broken piece and then bring it back and reunite it with you and what they call a soul retrieval because they see that as we're born, we are born whole. And you don't have to agree with this. I'm just telling you the framework of how they look at it we are born whole and then as we move forward pieces get stuck along the way and the shaman's job is to unstick them and bring them and reunite us as a whole entity so that gets outside of any sort of framework with christ for the most part except that when we start talking about repentance and we start talking about forgiveness there's a lot of parallels and again, when I look at both of these groups, I mean, look at the groups across and the uniformity of trauma that we've all had now. The whole world has experienced trauma. There's too much emphasis still on the negative. And that's, again, a lot of the way we approach it in faith. It's a negative experience instead of seeing it as a gift. So we can even take the hurricane right now, which there is as difficult as it is and is probably premature for some to even hear this. Nonetheless, those that have lost everything have been given an amazing gift. They have been freed from the burdens of the things that were holding them, which is very much the parable of the young rich man. So I just, I say all this because I encourage everyone to take this to prayer and relens how we look at dramatic or traumatic experiences in our life. When we stay focused on those being negative, no matter what they are, we miss the gifts that are placed within them that we can find through our relationship in Jesus and keeping in mind as accepting Christ in our life as we move forward, our past is still part of us. It's not like it's just taken away. I mean, consider Paul, right? He was beheading Christians. That never left him. But what it gave him was enormous understanding, insight, and compassion as God called him to be a disciple. 
he was able to relate and talk to people that no one else could in that sense and have insight because he had walked the darkest of paths. Right now, we've all walked in one way or another a measure of darkness. And that is a tremendous gift, not a burden. It's not a, it shouldn't be a trauma, and yet many people will see it that way. And even for those that have taken the shot and we pine over that or mourn over that of the potential loss, it really is coming to a point where this creates an enormous ability, a beautiful ability to talk about Christ, talk about the healing of the blood of Jesus and the importance of having Christ in our lives to where we can turn again a, a very divisive and burdensome moment into something very glorious as we appreciate all that Jesus has given us through his sacrifice. All of these opportunities gives us an ability to enhance and expand the kingdom. And again, it's just their memory of how it's the way we lens a lot of this. So let me just suggest something as, and this is an extension of, this is a particular way a shaman that I knew worked. I'm not saying all shamans work this way, but it was a very interesting process that I want to tell you about. And then I want to apply that to how we look at forgiveness and repentance in our life. So in the process of doing this soul retrieval, this one particular shaman I knew would then require that anybody that went through a soul retrieval bake a cake. And this is a really interesting process. So the idea would be, in anticipation, leading up to this soul retrieval, the, a person would bake a cake, looking forward in celebration of retrieving a part of them again to make themselves whole. And after the soul retrieval, then a group of trusted friends would be called around and the cake would be brought and there would be a discussion of the story of what was brought back, the event that they were comfortable or the journey that they went on, which is essentially a dream. And then everybody would partake in this cake that was bacon, baked to celebrate the reuniting of this part of them in the moment. Now that's the shamanic way that this particular shaman did. But let me just apply this as another way of lensing this. When we talk about repentance and we talk about forgiveness, if we look at these things from a positive lens as a celebration, as they should be, because repentance is us coming back pure to stand next to the throne of Father God. When we go through these big moments, especially when we're dealing with significant events in our lives that keep holding us back, if we will celebrate the gift within them and do that in prayer with friends, and I would encourage you to bake a cake, literally, to celebrate that moment of the gift that God has given us. These are powerful tools and of healing as we break bread with one another, as we pray with one another, and we heal from within and do that with others. So, These are just, it goes back to this principle that Father put on me before I left on this trip. 
And it was, we have to heal First Nations and Last Nations. And the additional comment to that was, we will need each other where we're going. And I go, it centers to me as I've prayed on this a great deal around trauma. First Nations have suffered enormous trauma and no trauma, but they haven't been able to bridge through it. There's wisdom, but there's blindness. We have now suffered trauma. And there's an emerging wisdom, but there's still a great deal of blindness. Together as we work, all of us as one nation under God, if we're able to hear each other and able to celebrate the gifts that are given and able to set aside this trauma, which has all been done by the same people, and that's where we have unity, it's all been executed by the same dirtbags from the beginning, most of which most of those roads lead us to the Jesuits. But when we understand that and appreciate that, we don't have to see ourselves as victim. We can just see ourselves as wounded, but that together, through our relationship in Christ in one body, we can heal and take the glory of the gift that was given with wisdom and experience that comes from that to now rise above and truly be one nation under God. Patriots, let's pray. Father, we're just very blessed tonight as we sit here in, in fellowship and reflect deeply on where we are as your, your children in this world and starting to see the mastery of turning evil into good where we now all sit with a common foundation of all having to one degree or another endured suffering and trauma. Father, we just pray that eyes can be opened to see these as positives, as gifts, rather than anchors or anger or anxiety or fear. And in doing so, to truly embrace the wisdom and the insight that each of these events has given us, whatever those are in our lives, to give us a greater compassion for one another and a deeper understanding for the place that we each walk so that we can let go of these rifts, these blood rifts that have been so deeply embedded and entrenched in our hearts and truly enter into the place of healing through the body and blood of Christ. Father, we know that this is a very difficult task and people are going to entrench themselves in a lot of different dogma to try to prevent seeing. Because in the moments like this, when we're being asked to stretch our view, there's a lot of fear that strikes people's hearts. And in so doing, people will often reach into the dogma rather than seeing the blessings and the power that comes from Scripture. So, Father, we just pray that eyes can be opened that the dialogues can begin and that the power of prayer and healing and unity can be found in the appreciation that we have all suffered through a moment of trauma that has traumatized, left marks, or just left pain in each person's heart. And rather than seeing that as an anchor, to see that as a gift where we can then begin to rise above the hands of evil and start coming together as one in the body of Christ. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.
I think that's just a really last point on this that I want to drive home is this is a very important space to keep your eyes open when you navigate. Satan is right there at every one of these little junctures to try to stir up anxiety, fear, hatred, or even worse, to offer some sort of monetary or a rewarding greed to steer us off path. And in that process, we separate ourselves from the glory of what Father God is offering. As we are reminded so many times in in scripture, we, we are going to have to step aside from much of the, I guess I'd say the pain that we, we are, we've been indoctrinated with to see something greater. Because I think that's ultimately a lot of what Christ has shown us is that even in the endurance of the most treacherous and torturous pain, there is something greater that he, he still was able to speak on the cross to the thief and he was still and he was resurrected. So that leads me back to Jeremiah 6:16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. That is right there the valley of decision. The moment that we each now face. Are we going to seek those ancient paths and those which are very difficult paths. They're challenging. They're going to challenge us, but in our, with our heart to Jesus and our heart through Jesus to the Father, anything that we face is easily overcome, though we will be challenged, and at many times we will feel like the task itself may be bigger than we can do, but it, the task is put before us because he knows that we can handle it, even though we may not know that. But then it's the other side that we simply say no. And we will see that even with believers that will not want to move on to the next step because they will simply say, no, I'm not going to go there. And instead of realizing an opportunity, they'll fall into dogma. And dogma is a big trap. It's Satan's trap. So it the bottom line is, is that we have to keep ourselves bound tight to Jesus on the rock of faith, knowing that the world that is around us that has been corrupted at every level will continue to shake and fall. And even on that rock, we are going to find at times ourselves being tested in our, and it's going to be difficult. It will seem difficult to keep a footing though, as long as our eyes are on Jesus and we are locked in tight with the prayer and the direction that father wants us to go, we will get through it beautifully though at times, like I say, it will seem challenging. In retrospect, it will seem easy. But those on the outside that are going to cling on to hatred, blood rifts, anger, anxiety, fear, all these negative emotions, it's going to be very difficult as a ride, and not all will make it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the bottom line. So, Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. 
He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We're at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, see you on Sunday night for Fishers of Men. Have a wonderful and blessed Saturday. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again Dive into the deepest end Oh, I want to feel something Let me get back in my body So I'm going to give you one more before we go. And it's just a thought to appreciate just how Satan works and how devious he is. In this walk we have, we are constantly being pulled to trust in God. There was an amazing comment made last night, and I really appreciated it. Because the comment was, how do we separate from the system without losing everything financially? And The irony of that statement is we must lose everything in order to succeed in this. We all must lose everything at one point because Father God is going to release us. And as long as we put our eyes on him, he will provide everything. But we have to be, it's back to the parable of the young rich man. So here's where the example I would give. Let's say you need a car and we trust in God, something will be provided. We pray to him and we don't know how. But along the way, somebody says, but I can get you a car. And you say, I don't have the money. But they say, no problem. We'll finance it for you. And the minute that that happens, that's Satan stepping in to separate us from the world of a gifting world to a world where we say we can do it ourselves, and in the process, we get enslaved through the debt system. This is a devious walk in which Satan is set before us. And the power of trusting in Father God is unbelievable. And the more that we all work towards that direction, the more that we separate from the system, which is doing everything it can to keep us hooked and enslaved in it,
And with it comes division and hatred and all these other things. But the more that we let go and truly put our eyes in truly trusting that God will provide, remembering that he will provide what we need, not necessarily what we think we need. We are into a new world and we are reshaping this world in his image. Have a blessed night.